Tonight, uh, toward the end of the meal, we are going to be taking an offering. Uh, if you have your checkbook with you, if you happen to have your checkbook with you, make the check out to Israel Media Ministries. Uh, if you don't and you would like to give, and I want to encourage you to give generously. Uh, this is the way we are showing our appreciation. We're not paying from the church. It's going to be a love offering tonight. So let me encourage you to give generously. And if you don't have your checkbook with you, bring it to church Sunday morning. Write this down, Israel Media Ministries. And that is how uh, we are going to bless Zaev as he blesses us. Zaev, I'm going to get this wrong all night long. So David Calvert was supposed to be here tonight. He's got up at least 101 temperature fever. So be praying uh, for David. Marguerite Strand uh, was the one who suggested not only that we do this this evening, but she knew exactly the right guy to get. She has seen this presentation several times. So we were just trying to do it somewhere before, after Easter, and she said, how about Good Friday? So we are quite blessed. Marguerite, do you want to say a word or not? Okay. Uh, Zayev is a good friend of mine. We I've seen several of his presentations, and I worked with him in doing evangelism in Israel a couple of years ago, and I really love him as a son. Um, he has done evangelism for several years, but has just a couple of years ago branched down into his own ministry using his advertising background to, to work through the, um, the Internet, et cetera, to do evangelism. And I'm going to turn it over to him, but two questions. Is anyone allergic to nuts? Because we have some special herosis for you. And does anyone need gluten-free matzo? Okay, I'll give it to Zayev. Thank you, Pastor David, and thank you, Margaret. Uh, I'm honored to be here with you on this Good Friday. And let me just start by saying shalom. shalom. So you're not the only one that know a little bit Hebrew here, so that's good. So... I'm encouraged to hear that. Now, as you heard, my name is a little difficult to pronounce, and that's because I'm an Israeli, I'm Jewish, and that's the name that I have, Ze'ev. Actually, I carry my name uh, in remembrance of my grandfather, um, who died in Auschwitz with the rest of uh, my dad's family. My dad is the only survivor from his family. At the age of 12, he came to Israel by himself on a boat, I never saw uh, his parents, his brothers, sisters uh, since then. Um, so I grew up in a, while I was growing up to both the son of two Jewish parents. Um, we didn't really believe in God, and that has a lot to do with the Holocaust, I assume. Uh, so I grew up yet in Jerusalem, a religious city, but I grew up as a secular Jewish uh, boy. And we, we did celebrate the Passover every year, though, like many secular Jewish people do. But it has nothing to do with faith, real faith in God, or even the story of the Exodus. It, it was ju just tradition. Little did I know, some 27 years after I was born, that I will realize that everything that I was celebrating every year is so clearly points to the promised Jewish Messiah which we know in Israel as Yeshua, and his name around here, you call him Jesus, right? Well, we call him Yeshua. His name means, in Hebrew, it means salvation. That's kind of a good name for a savior, I think. So I, I was just amazed uh, to see how everything in the Old Testament, all the prophecies about the Messiah, how they clearly point to, to Yeshua, to Jesus, and... The fact that he died on Passover and everything that we were doing on Passover, everything points to him. So I'm excited to share that with you and to show you what, you know, what the Jewish people basically do not see yet. You know, I was speaking with my sister in Israel. They were celebrating that on Monday. How was the Seder? Well, that was nice. You know, it's just nice. Uh, th there is no real meaning to it and and. I hope that you will see this evening as we go throughout this traditional Passover setting that everything, everything in Passover points to Jesus. So 
I want to start by uh, reading a portion of scripture from Luke chapter 22, beginning in the seventh verse. And it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, meaning Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. The first night of Passover begins a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that time, we Jewish people, we eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. Why no leaven? Well, throughout scripture, leaven is frequently used as a symbol of sin. In olden times, a small piece of leaven was used to ferment an entire portion of dough. It was the leaven that caused the dough to rise, to become puffed up. Just as sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So during that time, we eat no leaven as a way of saying we want to break the daily sin cycle in our own lives. That's why in some Orthodox Jewish homes, for up to six weeks prior to Passover, the house undergoes a complete spring cleaning. We remove all the cakes, cookies, breads, cereals, anything that has any leaven in it. Now, excuse me, ladies, but in Israel, where I'm from, cleaning is usually the work of the woman of the house. Amen. But did you notice, Luke says that Jesus sent two men to prepare the Passover. Perhaps he sent two men because in Judaism, it's the man who has standing before God, not only when it comes to prayer, but when it comes to ceremonial preparation as well. So if you think about it, that means the man should be doing the cleaning during those six weeks. But we came up with a very good solution to this kind of problem. And we explain it like this. Now true, the house is spotless because the woman has spent the last six weeks cleaning and removing every speck of leaven. Well, almost every speck that is. You see, she's taken a few crumbs and she's hidden them somewhere in the house. And it's up to the men to find them. So the night before the Passover, he returns home and he picks up some strange-looking cleaning tools. A napkin, a wooden spoon, and a feather. And he goes on on what we call in Hebrew, and we're going to practice some Hebrew. Okay, Pastor David? We have to practice it, all of you together. So try to say after me. We call it Bedikat Chametz. Bedikat chametz. Very good. That means the search for leaven. Now, where could those crumbs be? Anywhere. Down in the basement, up in the attic, behind the refrigerator. But fortunately, she's been good enough to hide them exactly where she hid them the year before. <laughs> Finally, the husband discovers the crumbs and with a very steady hand, he sweeps the crumbs into the spoon with the feather. Since the crumbs represent sin, the man is not permitted to touch them. Instead, he wraps them up with the napkin and in some traditions takes them down to a large bonfire in the courtyard of the synagogue. All the men of the congregation have gathered there and each 
throws his bundle of leaven into the flames. Then he returns home where he proclaims, Now I have purged my house of all leaven. But just to be certain, he adds, And all manner of leaven, which I have neither seen nor removed, be considered null and void, and as the dust of the earth. Amen. The house has been cleansed, and the home is now ready for the Passover celebration. And it is a celebration. But my ancestors were instructed by God to eat that first Passover meal with their loins girded, with their sandals on their feet, and with their staff in hand, ready to go at a moment's notice. But today, today we relax and we recline on pillows. You see, in ancient Middle Eastern societies, only the free could recline at dinner. Only the redeemed, not the slaves. On Passover, the head of the household puts on special ceremonial garments. He wears a special garment called a kittel. In the Bible, white is the color of purity. And it reminds us of the robes that the ancient Levites and priests used to wear. Now, as you may know, Jewish men often cover their heads as a sign of respect before God. But on Passover, the head of the household, instead of wearing the usual yarmulke or skullcap, he puts something a little more elaborate. Priestly robes and also a symbol of a crown. Because on Passover, the head of the house is like a priest and a king. And as a king, he guides his family through the traditional Passover seder. Seder is the Hebrew word meaning order because the Passover celebration follows a specific order of service. And that order is recorded here in this book called the Haggadah. Can you say Haggadah? Very good. That means the telling. Why? Why would we call the Passover book the telling? Because God has commanded the people of Israel to tell the story of the Exodus to our children every year on Passover. So this is how we do it, by following the Haggadah, the telling. Well, I think everything is about ready. And there is a customary greeting on Passover. We say, let all who are hungry come and eat. Now, I did Sneak into the kitchen, and it smells pretty good. And we're going to get there later. So hold, hold on with me, okay? That's the challenge of Passover sometimes, to get to the meal. Especially as secular Jew as I grew up. But please forgive me for being honest. And this begins with the lighting of the candles, This is usually the duty and honor of the woman of the house. But since my wife is not here with me, I really need a volunteer. I need one of you ladies to just come up here and help me to light the candles. Oh, thank you. Please come here. Just a second. For some reason, I really need a mic for you. Where is the red mic? Oh, here it is. Thank you. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. If, what is your name, please? Margaret. Margaret. <laughs> All of the ladies here have the same name, I understand. <laughs> I was the only one called Margaret. That's the country. Right? I understand. Okay, Margaret. Okay. Margaret, can you please light the candles? Okay. Thank you, Margaret. Almost finished. There is one, one small thing I need to ask you. 
And uh, just to sing something, if you don't mind. There you have a mic for you. And that's very easy. It's in Hebrew. You don't have to worry about it. You know, Pastor David can tell you Hebrew. It's not such a big deal. So this is for you. Okay, and you're just going to sing what I sing. Just repeat after me. Very easy. Okay, very good. Okay. Baruch. 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 Adonai, Adonai, Eloheinu, Eloheinu, Melech, Melech, Haolam, Haolam. Very good. Let's see. Asher kidshanu b'mitzvot avetivanu. Ashi. Asher. Asher. Kidshanu. Kidshanu. Bemitzvotav. 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 Hebrew, not Chinese. I'm fired. Okay. Vetsivanu. Vetsivanu. Lehadlikner. 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 Shel Pesach. Shepersach. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Give her a hand. Good job. Thank you. Which means, bless art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who set us apart with your commandments and has commanded us to light the Passover candles. Which, of course, he didn't. He never asked us or commanded us to light the Passover candles. This is just part of the tradition. That's just a reminder. Sometimes tradition can just be a tradition. But nevertheless, I really think that it's fitting that a woman kindles these lights. For it can remind us that the Messiah, the light of the world, would come not from the seed of man, but from the seed of a woman. And by the will of God. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Immanuel. That's Hebrew for God with us, Immanuel, a light to light the nations and glory of thy people Israel. Now, Passover isn't just a meal, it's a banquet. And it isn't just a normal service, it's a complex ceremony. And while a meal or a service may take just one or two hours, the Passover celebration may take a total of four hours. So I really hope you don't have other plans for tonight. (laughs) During that time, each adult will drink from his cup and refill it four times. Now, you already have the four cups individually, and that's good. But usually it's one cup that we're going to refill, okay? So you have it already pre-made for you. We're going to go over all of them, but first I want to briefly explain. The first cup is called the Kiddush cup or the cup of sanctification. Then we'll come to the second cup, the cup of plagues. Then we will get to the third cup, the cup of redemption, which is the focal point of the entire evening. And lastly, we'll get to the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. It is with this first cup, the cup of sanctification, that the host offers a blessing for all the rest of the service to follow. Holding the Kiddush cup aloft, he offers praise and thanks to God Almighty, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. So let's all hold the first cup up in the air and I'll pray the blessing 
in Hebrew, and then we can drink the first cup, okay? Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Bore pri hagafen Amen Let's have the first cup, cup of sanctification. By doing that, the service has officially begun. And at this point, the youngest person present comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. He or she recites the traditional four questions which are found in the Haggadah. Remember, we have to tell the story of the Exodus to our children. So this is how we do it. We have four questions throughout the evening. And then the child asks them and we answer. And by that we fulfill the commandment to tell the story of the Passover. So, I already have a wonderful volunteer to help me. And his name is Anthony. Can you please come and help me, Anthony? Thank you. Give me five. Okay. Now, the questions are chanted, and can you see him? Can you come over here? Come. I want people to see you. They, here. This, hold this. The questions are chanted, and the first one goes like this. Now, just say what I say. It's very easy, okay? And put it close to your mouth, okay? Ma. Ma. He speaks fluent Hebrew. <laughs> Nishtana. 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 Halayla. Halayla. Hazay. Hazay. You have a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> That's a new tradition. Mikol. Mikol. Halelot. Halelot. Thank you so much. You did a great job. Let me. Hey, wait a second. Let me give you a. Sticker, I bless Israel sticker, okay? Put it on your dad's car or something, okay? <laughs> Good. Thank you. We're done. Thanks so much. Good job, Anthony. Which means, the question was, why is this night, Passover, is different from all other nights? Those of us who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond. And we say, this is because of what the Lord did for me. When he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. You see, redemption is the very heart of Passover. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It imparts God's means of redemption through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. My ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones and to apply its blood to the doorpost of our homes. Look carefully. This is exactly how God instructed us to do that in Exodus chapter 12. We have to take the blood of the lamb, and this is what we should do. We should apply it to the top of the doorpost, the lintel, and to the two side posts. Did you see that? The top of the doorpost and to the two side posts. Reminds you of anything? Because of our obedience to God's command, and because of our faith in the effectiveness of His provision, we, the Jewish people, were spared the ravages of the tenth plague to befall the land of Egypt. For when the Lord saw the blood on our doors, he forced death to pass over. And that's where we get the name Passover. In Hebrew, it's called Pesach. Can you say Pesach? Pesach. Yeah. The holiday 
that commemorates the time when death passed over the houses of Israel because of what? Because and only because of the blood. The blood of who? The blood of the lamb. The Passover lamb. What a mighty act of redemption. But what a picture of an even greater redemption through the sacrifice of another Passover lamb, the lamb of God, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. For just as none of the bones of those first lambs were broken, so none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death. And just as my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of our homes, so each one of us must apply in faith the blood of the Messiah to the doorpost of our hearts. The child then asks the second question. The question is, on this night, why do we eat only unleavened bread? And we explain, our ancestors, in their haste to leave Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. This is, in Hebrew, this is called matzah. Can you say matzah? Okay. One of the items found on the Passover table is this one called the matzah tosh. Tosh means a bag, so that's the bag of the matzah. Inside it, there are three layers of unleavened bread. Here is the first layer, if you can see. Each layer is separated from the others by some cloth. Here is the second layer. And here we have the third layer. Three layers. The head of the house takes out, remove the middle layer, recites a blessing, and then breaks it in two. He sets one half aside, and he gives the other half a special name, the Afi Koman. Can you say that? Afi Koman. That's not a Hebrew word, by the way. That's a Greek word. And it means that which comes later. And that's precisely what happens. The Afikoman isn't eaten yet. It will come later. For now, it's wrapped in a white cloth. And then... Hidden from view. Buried. No one else at the table knows where the Afikoman is hidden. But later on, all the children will look for it and have to find it or the service will not be concluded. Now, I'm going to put it in a different place later. And after the meal, during the meal, the kids will actually will have to f- search for it. And whoever finds it is going to get a reward. Okay? Very good. The child asks two more questions. On this night, why do we eat only bitter herbs? And why on this night do we dip our food twice when normally we don't even dip it once? Let me explain by showing you this. This is a cedar plate, and despite its appearance, it's not used for deviled eggs. A symbolic piece of food from the Passover table is placed into each one of these compartments. And all of these symbols are part of the picture of redemption. Now, all of us have the, uh, the food items on our plates, and we're going to taste them as we go. Okay? The first item is called karpas, or greens, and it's usually parsley or lettuce. Now, these greens represent... Life, green. But before we eat them, we have to dip them into salt water, which represents the tears of life. So by dipping and 
tasting, like we're going to do in a second together, we are reminded that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. So let's have the parsley and dip it down, deep down into the uh, water so you get to the salt that's it's at the bottom of the cup and have a taste. This is my appetizer for you. <laughs> the next item on the setter plate is called chazeret. Can you say chazeret? It's the root of the bitter herb. We generally use an onion or a horseradish root, and this symbol reminds us that the root of life is bitter, as it certainly was for my ancestors in Egypt as slaves. Now, at this point, we're going to do something very special. I need one man on each table to hold the onion. Hold up the onion. Okay, one man. Okay, very good. Very good. Now, remember, this should remind us that the root of life is bitter. Okay? So what we're going to do now, I, we, we all together at the same time, will have to take the biggest, juiciest bite <laughs> with the peel and everything from the onion. And then, listen, and then you have to pass it along the table. Each one takes the biggest bite. We go around and around until it's all over. Ready? Okay. We're going to do it on the count of three. We're going to count in Hebrew. Okay? So just repeat after me. Count to three. Big bite. I want to hear the... Okay? Achat. Shtaim. Shah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you think? We're Jewish people crazy. <laughs> well, actually, this is to teach you about grace. You don't have to do it. But only because I have something much, much better for you. And that's the next item. It's called maror. Can you say maror? Okay. This is the bitter herb itself. Freshly ground horseradish. And I suspect that you got the best kind. Okay, now we're supposed to eat about a full teaspoon of horseradish. Any volunteers? Pastor David? <laughs> Do you know what happens when you eat a teaspoonful of horseradish? What? Exactly. You cry. You cry. You have little choice in the matter. <laughs> this is between the horseradish and your sinuses. And the horseradish always wins. Like the chazeret, the maror brings to our minds how bitter life is without redemption. So, be my guest if you want to take the whole teaspoon. But let me re remind you, it's not time for the second cup just yet. Uh, but at least have a taste of it, okay? That's the taste of a life without redemption. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you're enjoying the meal. Um, <laughs> by the way, let me try to encourage you, comfort you. Uh, uh, it's only about 10 minutes to the second cup. It'll be fine. The next item on the setter plate is the charoset. Can you say charoset? Okay. Now, this represents the mortar that our ancestors used when they had to make bricks for Pharaoh. You see, it's brown like mortar. Now, it's made up of chopped apples, raisins, honey, nuts. It tastes delicious. It's sweet. Now, you may be wondering why such a sweet mixture 
is used to represent such bitter toil as slavery. We have a very good answer for that. On Passover we say that even the most bitter labor is sweetened with the promise of redemption. So let's have a taste of the promise of redemption. Okay, the next item, I know, you, I know you think it's an Easter egg. Well, it's not. It's called the Chagiga. Can you say Chagiga? Okay. That was the name given to the special temple sacrifice in Jerusalem. We roast the egg and that turns it brown. The Chagiga is a token of grief to our people. Grief over the destruction of the second temple. So during the Seder, it is broken open, sliced, given out to each person at the table, and then dipped in salt water. Again, that's the second dipping. dipping. And the salt water represents what? Tears. That's right. So let's take the egg that you have and dip it in the salt water. And taste it. And this is for us to mourn, to remember our mourning over the fact that we don't have the temple anymore. That the temple was destroyed. Okay, the last item on the seder plate, probably the strangest one of all, is called the zroah. It's the shank bone of the lamb. Passover is sometimes known as the feast of the Passover lamb. And yet, in most Jewish homes on Passover, roasted lamb is not served. You see, the lambs that used to be eaten on Passover were the Passover sacrifices. But in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And so was the altar, obviously, where the sacrifices were performed. So from that time to this day, almost 2,000 years, no sacrifices have been made. And so no lamb is served on Passover. Instead, this zoa, like the egg, the chagiga, reminds us of sacrifices which are no longer offered. Now the presence of these two elements, the egg and the shank bone, raises a very interesting question for us Jewish people. With no temple, with no altar, and with no sacrifices, how is it possible for us to atone for our sins? For we know that the law of Moses states very clearly. It says, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Some people, both Jewish and Gentile, might say, perhaps that was important 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't have any bearings on our life today, does it? Well, doesn't it? If not, then why does even the Haggadah instruct us Jewish people to take the story of Passover personally as though each one of us was being brought out of Egypt? I think we're supposed to take the story of redemption personally because each one of us needs to be redeemed. But with no sacrifices, how is redemption even possible? With no lamb... How? Once, nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man named Yohanan. Can you say Yohanan? Do you know who I'm talking about? You know him better as John. John the Baptist. By his name, the, by 
By the way, the meaning of his name, Yohanan, is God has pardoned. Yo, like Yehovah, Jehovah God, Hanan, pardon. God has pardoned. That's the meaning of his name, John the Baptist. And one day, while baptizing people in the river Jordan, his gaze fell upon the form of another Jewish man, his cousin, a man named Yeshua. And you know him better as Jesus. And John declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Aha! That's how redemption, not through the blood of lambs, but redemption through the blood of the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God, the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus. Well, it may be very clear and obvious to you, but there is hardly any Jewish people in Israel that understand that. We go through that, we do all that tradition, we sing the songs, we eat the food, we mourn over the destruction of the second temple, we do everything, but understanding that this is, it all talks about Jesus, that he is the one that died on Passover as the Passover lamb. We, we Jewish people, we just don't know that. All we have left is tradition. Now, it's time for the second cup, the cup of plagues. Now, in Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But in one sense, our joy on Passover is not complete. That's why we are going to withdraw some of the joy out of the cup. Okay? Now, we mourn the loss of the Egyptians and we express sorrow over their destruction. That's how it's not a complete celebration because we mourn for our enemies. We mourn for, for the Egyptians. So for us to withdraw some of the joy out, we're going to do something yet again a little unusual probably for most of you. But we are going to dip our finger in the cup and let 10 drops fall onto our plates as we will recite the 10 plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. That's called the cup of plagues for that. Okay? So we're going to do that, and we're actually going to recite the 10 plagues in Hebrew together. Okay? I'm going to tell you how to do it. Just repeat after me. First, I'm going to say it in English so you know what we're talking about, and then in Hebrew. And if you please can repeat after me in Hebrew while you're withdrawing some of the joy out of the cup onto your place. Okay, ready? Okay. The first one is blood. In Hebrew it's dam. The second one is frogs. In Hebrew it's tsfardea. Third one is lice. In Hebrew it's kinim. Number four is wild beasts. In Hebrew we say arov. Number five, disease. Hebrew, we say, dever. Number six, boils. In Hebrew, it's shechin. Number seven, hail. We say, barad. Number eight, locusts. In Hebrew, we say, arbe. Now, number nine is for advanced Hebrew students like you. It actually starts with a ch and it ends with a ch. Okay? The middle part is very easy, though. Okay? So we can do that. Okay? So you just say, Choshech. Excellent. And the last one, number ten, is slaying of the firstborn. In Hebrew, it's two words, makat. Bechorot. Very good. Now, before we drink the second cup, I want to say that there is a very important lesson in this cup. Pharaoh defied the will of God. He, he was repeatedly told what God wanted him to do, right? But his heart was hardened and he said to God, No, I refuse, I will not. 
As a result, he brought death and destruction, not only upon his land, but into his home. His own child died because of his hardness of heart. So before we drink, let us ask ourselves, how often do we choose our desires over God's direction? How often do we know God's will for our lives? But how often do we say to God, no, I refuse, I will not. Let me give you a little piece of Jewish wisdom. If God is telling you to do something, do it. <laughs> Let's have the second cup. Okay, we did the cup of flakes, but generally speaking, Passover is a night of rejoicing, a night of thanksgiving, and a night to praise God. And tonight I can praise God, not only because death passed over my ancestors' homes, and not only because the Lord redeemed us out of the land of Egypt thousands of years ago, but because I have been redeemed from an even greater bondage in 1999. Through my faith in the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah Yeshua. Through Him, each one of us, Jew or Gentile, may pass over from death to life. Now, we come to the point that we actually get to the meal itself. So... We're going to have the meal now, and then we are going to come back for the rest of the service. And uh, I'll meet you back then after the meal. You know how to say bon appetit in Hebrew? It's very easy. You say bete avon. Can you say bete avon? All right. Okay. Now let's go back to the presentation. After the meal, the service continues, and it's time for the third cup. The cup of redemption. Don't, we don't have to do it just yet. Because we cannot do it just yet. Something very important is missing. Earlier, something was broken, buried, and now needs to be brought back. Do you know what it is? The afikoman. Very good. Now, all the children searched for the afikoman, and they did. But only one discovers where it has been hidden. So where is the one that found the afikoman? If you can come over here. Okay. Once it is found, it's returned to the head of the house. But he cannot just take it just like that. He has to redeem it. He has to pay something in order to get it back. So here I have a little something for you. Thank you very much. Okay, now it's mine. When it returns to the head of the house, it is broken again. Each person receives a piece of it about the size of an olive. And this olive-sized piece is taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. We, we, we're not going to do it just yet. I'm just explaining. I know you're anxious to do it, but <laughs> just a second. Let me ask you, when you see that, does that look familiar? It should, for this is the origin of our communion service. The Jewish Messiah, sitting with the 12 Jewish disciples, celebrating the Jewish feast of Passover and taking communion. So don't think it's such a Christian thing to take communion. It's very Jewish, okay? <laughs> and if you talk to Jewish people, you need to explain that to them. That's not the Christian tradition of communion. That's the Jewish tradition of the cup of redemption on Passover. But not only that, consider this. Where else can we see a clearer picture of our Messiah Jesus than in this costume concerning the Afikoman, which is broken, buried, and then brought back? Even the matzah itself, which is unleavened, 
a symbol of a sinless nature, no leaven, no sin, speaks of Jesus. Jewish rabbis have set down very specific regulations concerning the preparation of the matzah, if it is to be found suitable for use. One of them is that the matzah must be, can you see that? Must be what? Must be pierced. Who else was pierced? Jesus. God speaking through the prophet Zechariah said, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. But I can see our Messiah symbolically not only in the Afikoman, I can also see him in the Matzatosh as well. Remember this pouch containing the three layers of unleavened bread from which the Afikoman is drawn. There is quite a bit of disagreement among Jewish rabbis about the meaning of this strange pouch, this mysterious three in one. Some teach that the Matzatosh represents the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle matzah is broken, buried, and then brought back? Others teach that the matzah represents the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. But once again, if that's the explanation, why is the middle matzah is broken, buried, and then brought back? Still other rabbis teach us that the Matzatosh represents three crowns. The crown of learning the scripture, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of kingship. But again, if that's the explanation, why is the middle matzah is broken, buried, and then brought back? You see, in the Jewish community today, the origin of this tradition has been lost. And that is why there are so many competing explanations but there is another explanation and it has its roots in the first century there are three layers here and yet they form a unity a tri-unity a hebrew word which may mean just such a unity is the word echad and it brings to my mind the words of god given to us through moses who declared shema israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word used for one in that sentence is Echad, a unity. Let me give you another example. Consistently in the Bible, Echad means a unity. You know the verse, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, right? In Hebrew, Basal, Echad, Echad. How many people are there? Two that unite and they become one. It's a unity. It's more than one that unite and become one. That's it. It's Echad. And on Passover, the head of the household removes the middle layer of this unity. It is made visible. While the other two remain hidden from our view. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We Jewish people who know the Messiah know also that the unity of the Matzatosh bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why is the middle matzah is broken, buried, and then brought back? I think you understand. Because Yeshua, Jesus, was broken, buried, and then brought back. So you may be wondering, if that's so, why are the Jewish people still doing all that? Let me explain. In the first century, things were added into that service, into that celebration throughout the generation. This was added in the first century. Guess by who? Jesus' followers, the Jewish believers in Jesus. They added that into the tradition to talk about the Trinity, to talk about the gospel message, 
that this, the Son of God came, that He died for us, He was buried, and then He rose again. And they were still considered part of the Jewish community. Only years later, when they didn't want to join the rest of the Jewish people in rebellion against the Romans, the Romans then they were uh, sent out of the synagogue and were not considered Jewish anymore. But the Jewish uh, religious authorities kept that same tradition, but now trying to give it another meaning. But originally, it all talks about Jesus and the gospel message. And that's what the Jewish people are doing every year, and they don't even, they're not even aware of that. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you and you and you and all of us. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, nothing is missing anymore, and it is time for the third cup. As you see, the fruit of the vine on Passover is usually red. Rabbis say it's red to remind us of the precious blood of those first Passover lambs sacrificed so that we may be redeemed from bondage and slavery to Pharaoh. In the same way, the blood of another Passover lamb was sacrificed in order to redeem us from bondage and slavery to sin. It was concerning, listen, it was concerning this cup, the cup of redemption, the cup taken after dinner, it says in the scripture. He took the cup after the meal. Remember? It was concerning this cup that he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He spoke of the new covenant promised to us by God through the prophet Jeremiah when he declared, Behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant. With who? With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. After those days I will put my law within them and on their hearts will I write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, the new covenant God made with the people of Israel. The covenant on Mount Sinai, God did with who? With the people of Israel, right? Well, the new covenant, God did again with the people of Israel. He said, because you broke my previous covenant, now I will give you grace and I will give you a new covenant in which I will forgive your sins. Again, he's making the covenant with the same people, with the people of Israel. And then it was extended to all the nations. But first and foremost, according to Scripture, what I just quoted from Jeremiah 31, the new covenant is made between the God of Israel to the people of Israel first and foremost. The cup of redemption and the broken piece of afikoman are taken together in remembrance of the blood and body of the Passover lamb. And there is only one Passover lamb by which we can be saved and pass over, whether we are Jewish people or non-Jewish people, doesn't matter where we are, there is only one Savior for all of us, and this is Yeshua, Jesus. So let's take that in remembering His blood and His broken body for us. Now, we get to the fourth cup. And this cup is called the cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. Now, you all know a Hebrew word. And I mean, y'all. <laughs> I just wonder if you all know that it is Hebrew. And the word is, Hallelujah. And it means, praise the Lord. The first part of that word is Hallel, which means praise. In Hebrew, you say praise. Hallel, praise. And the second part is Yah, which is the short for Yahweh, God. So, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, note, we don't say Hallelujah. We say Hallelujah, right? Why? Because Hallel, it's in singular, and Hallelujah, it's plural. So, what it actually means, y'all come together and praise God. 
not just you or you, you come together as a body and praise God together. And is there a better day throughout the year to come together as a body and to praise God for the son that he sent for us, to die for our sin, to be buried and to rise again on the third day than on Passover, the night that he gave his life for us, that he laid down his life for us. So let's take the fourth cup and say in Hebrew, Hallelujah. Well, actually, there is one other cup that I haven't told you about. And this is the cup of Elijah. Now, you don't have it because no one drinks from this cup. In fact, in many Jewish homes at Passover, an entire place setting is left untouched. All for the prophet Elijah. Why? Why do we have that longing for the prophet Elijah? And why on Passover? Well, it was recorded by the Hebrew prophet Malachi that before the Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the return of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. And so, each year on Passover, a child runs to the door of the house and opens it wide. We celebrate Passover with the door open. Why? Hoping that the prophet Elijah will accept the invitation, enter the home to do what? To tell us about the Messiah. And I remember my child, we did that every year. We had the cup for Elijah and everything, and the door was open for Elijah. But Elijah never came. And you know what? No one else came to tell us about the Messiah. I was 27 years old when I bumped into this somehow in London. No one ever came to me in Israel and told me about the Messiah. And I wonder if that's something that you and I can change. I shared with you the numbers before. Who can tell the Jewish people about the Messiah? If we are not going to do that, who is going to do that? We cannot tell ourselves. The Muslims will not going to tell us about Yeshua. I mean, it's only the one that believe in him, that know him, that were saved by him, that can tell us about him. And part of the reason that I believe God has called me to be in the United States to start this ministry here is to have opportunities like tonight to teach you more about the Jewish roots of real faith, to understand you were saved by the Jewish Messiah. By the Jewish blood. You, got, you heard the gospel because 12 Jewish disciples that were obedient to, to the Jesus' great commission to go and share the gospel with every nation, to make disciples in every nation. And they sacrificed their lives to do that. And that's why you see every corner of the earth People that before that were worshipping the sun and the moon and the trees, now believing in the God of Israel. Having saved by the covenant that God made first and foremost with the people of Israel. So I would assume that people that are really saved, that really understand that, not just going through a tradition like the Jewish people do, falling into the trap of tradition, but the people that really live for God, that God lives in them, the Holy Spirit in them, if we are really saved, if we really understand what we're talking about, we would like to share it. And even more so, we would like to share it with the Jewish people. With the people from which this salvation came to you. I mean, that would make the most sense to me if someone is really saved and understand, he would like to do that. So once again, I know one thing for sure. That's what the God put in my heart to do. And I'm going to share that gospel to the last day of my life. And I was praying and sharing with my Holocaust survivor dad until a year before he passed, he came to faith in Yeshua as well. And four months ago, I was burying my mother right next to my dad. But one year before that, she came to faith in Yeshua as well. And you know who God used? God used... A lady from Sri Lanka. You know what Sri Lanka is? It's an island like east of India somewhere. A lady from Sri Lanka, a Gentile, 
She doesn't know Hebrew. She barely speaks English. And she used to be a Buddhist until 1996. But then God saved her in Sri Lanka and picked her and put her in my mom's little condo in, in, in Israel because my mom was battling cancer. And in social medicine, sometimes you have some, someone like that that comes from abroad to help you just with simple things at home. And she was there. And just the love that she had to my mother, she wasn't perfect, but sharing whatever she could. And, God, and, and my mother was able to see how her and me and my kids, the, the immediate click, the immediate unity and the spirit and the love and everything. You know, when it's real, it's real. You know, you see it. You don't have to fake it. And my mother experienced that until someday she just told me that I don't know what happened. She, in the past, she told me, I will never believe in that, ever. But all of a sudden, she said, I don't, I, I don't know what happened. I, I believe. I don't know what happened. And, and, and Nirmala, her name was Nirmala, she played a major role in that. It wasn't just her, but God used her. The point is, God used a Gentile from Sri Lanka, used to be a Buddhist, to bring my Jewish mama to faith. Okay, and it's not a coincidence. When I read in scripture in Romans, I see that. It says that salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. It says through their fall, through the fall of the Jewish people rejecting the Messiah, through that salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Just like the Jewish people brought the salvation to you, now you should bring the message of salvation back to the Jewish people. That's in one sentence, God's plan of salvation. Okay? So the Jewish people, especially the Jewish Messiah, we did our part. Okay? Now it's your turn. (laughs) So I pray and hope that you will do whatever you can. Thank you so much and God bless you. at the cross that this man and this God who was Jewish gave his life as the ultimate Passover 